Hello, everyone, and welcome to the May 21st edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd Skarin, Mnookin, Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The U.S. Department of Justice and five U.S. states, including California, have stepped into a previously secret lawsuit against Insys Therapeutics, The case reveals for the first time the central role played by whistleblower Maria Guzman in the government's years-long pursuit of incest for illegally marketing a dangerous opioid spray named Subsys. The resulting probe has led to a series of convictions, guilty pleas, and indictments of doctors and former incest executives, including the company's billionaire founder, John Kapoor. The drug maker is accused of trying to generate more profit by paying kickbacks to doctors to prescribe powerful opioid medications. The government's involvement was disclosed in a filing made public when the case filed in 2013 was just recently unsealed. The move adds firepower to the whistleblower civil litigation as incest tries to resolve a federal probe into its marketing of subsys, a spray form of fentanyl. Six U.S. states, California, Colorado, Indiana, New York, North Carolina, and Virginia also joined whistleblower litigation against incest. Ms. Guzman alleged a nationwide scheme by incest to defraud Medicare and Medicaid by inducing doctors with kickbacks to prescribe large doses of the drug subsys for injured patients who never should have received the drug. Using the mantra of pain is pain, incest illegally pushed the prescription of the drug for lesser off-label conditions such as back pain and migraines, according to the complaint. Ms. Guzman was fired in 2013 after objecting to the potentially deadly scheme. The U.S. government and five U.S. states said they would take over the litigation of a major part of her action, specifically including her claims against incest, for kickbacks. The 139-page second amended complaint in the case provides an account of Ms. Goodman's experience at the company. In addition to outlining a fraudulent scheme against taxpayers, it also alleges that incest was a discriminatory workplace for women. Indeed, much of the second amended complaint can serve as a training manual for designing illegal kickback schemes. And our crime report. The president of a healthcare company based in Fresno and Visalia pleaded guilty to illegal use of client funds. 62-year-old Mark Merrill Reynolds, who lives in Fresno, pleaded guilty to unlawfully converting client funds held by his company to his own use. Reynolds was the president and sole shareholder of Ben Elect and Ben Elect of Visalia. These companies operated in Fresno and Tulare counties. Ben Elect's clients were small to medium-sized businesses that purchased high-deductible, fully-insured group medical plans from independent insurance carriers and then self-insured beneficiaries for amounts up to the amount of the high deductible. 
The company was first incorporated in 1987 and was purchased by Reynolds in 1996. Ben Elect processed the claims using funds that its clients paid into an account known as the Ben Elect Employer Elect Account. Ben Elect was required to hold these funds in a fiduciary capacity and to withdraw clients' funds only for specific purposes, none of which included Ben Elect's own operational expenses or Mr. Reynolds' personal gain. According to the plea agreement, Reynolds converted funds from the employer-elect account to his own use by withdrawing funds from the account and then using these funds for business operational expenses and his own personal expenses as well. Reynolds faces a maximum statutory penalty of five years in prison and a quarter of a million dollar fine, and he's scheduled to be sentenced on August 30th. Now another company... Employer Driven Insurance Services announced that it reached an agreement to acquire the block of business and assets of Ben Elect. Saratoga orthopedic surgeon Gregory Belcher, MD, was sentenced to 12 months and a day in prison for making a false statement related to a health care benefits program. Belcher was a 1988 graduate of Tufts University School of Medicine. The sentence was handed down following an eight-week trial in which Belcher and his wife, Dr. Villasini Ganesh, were convicted last December. The trial evidence showed that Belcher submitted a false claim in connection with therapy practice he uh, conducted from the offices of the Campbell Medical Group in Saratoga, California and Belcher's wife and office partner submitted false and fraudulent claims to several health care benefit programs or services that she knew were not properly payable. She submitted claims for days when a patient had not been seen by the provider, as well as claims for patients who had been seen by another physician provider who no longer was affiliated with her practice. The jury convicted Belcher of one count of health care fraud <clears throat> and convicted Ganesh of five counts of health care fraud and five counts of making false statements. He will begin serving his sentence in June. The Medical Board of California filed an accusation in April, April seeking to revoke his medical license. No hearing has yet been set on this accusation. The Palm Drive Healthcare District is seeking bids for the purchase of its Sebastopol Hospital, a move brought on by ongoing financial struggles and debt. A request for proposals, which was released Tuesday, seeks a buyer who will operate Sonoma West Medical Center as an acute care hospital or other health care facility. Executive Director of the District, Elania Brogan said the need to sell the hospital became clear after the hospital's lucrative but controversial lab services were suspended. Those services were called off earlier this year after insurance giant Anthem Blue Cross accused the hospital and healthcare district of participating in a business fraud scheme with a Florida-based medical laboratory company. Anthem said this game resulted in more than $13.5 million in improper payments to the medical center. According to hospital financial data, the hospital suffered an operating loss of $800,000 this April. 
but it has taken a number of steps to improve operations and revenue collections at the hospital, yet old debt continues to cripple the hospital. Closure of Sonoma West Medical Center would leave West County without a full-service hospital and emergency room services. The financial difficulties are not uncommon for rural hospitals across the country. Many of them struggle to compete against larger health care providers such as Kaiser Permanente and Sutter Health. Officials want the facility to remain a full-service hospital with an emergency room and district voters have repeatedly made that desire clear. And in regulatory news, the June 5 primary election features Democrats Dr. Asif Mahamud and Senator Ricardo Lara against former Commissioner Steve Poisner for the position of the head of the California Department of Insurance. Early primary voting has already started, and the top two finishers will advance to November's general election. The position of insurance commissioner is one that gets little attention, but has a broad impact on Californians. The commissioner runs an office with 1,400 employees and a budget of $250 million. The Department of Insurance enforces insurance laws, licenses and regulates companies, and investigates fraud. 61-year-old Poisoner, who is a wealthy Silicon Valley entrepreneur, actually held the job previously. He served one term as a Republican and then spent $25 million of his own money in an unsuccessful run for governor in 2010. He now hopes voters remember his four years as commissioner and are willing to vote for an independent for an office that he said should be free of politics. His priorities for the office are to ensure homeowners are adequately insured against devastating wildfires and other natural disasters, to crack down on health insurance fraud, and help companies develop better insurance policies against cybercrime. 57-year-old Mahmoud, who grew up in rural Pakistan, is a political neophyte who initially was running for lieutenant governor and then decided insurance commissioner was a better fit with his medical experience. Although the commissioner has much less sway over health insurance, which is largely regulated by other departments, Mahmoud is making health care his top priority. He wants to preserve the Affordable Care Act, supports government-run health care for everyone, better mental health care, and better disaster preparation. And 43-year-old Laura, who has unsuccessfully pushed for state-run health insurance for Californians, is positioning himself as a counterweight to President Donald Trump. And his campaign website said he will put consumers ahead of corporations, the billionaire class, the pharmaceutical, or the insurance companies. Lara won the Democratic Party endorsement and has support from many unions and prominent party lawmakers. By the third week in April, Mahmoud was leading in campaign donations. President Trump again blasted drug makers and healthcare middlemen for making prescription medicines unaffordable for Americans. He made the remarks at the White House Rose Garden 
in a speech to introduce what he called the most sweeping action in history to lower drug prices. The Department of Health and Human Services released what it called a blueprint titled American Patients First with details of its plan. It said near-term actions would include giving commercial plans that administer Medicare Part D prescription drug benefits for seniors more power to negotiate prices with drug makers. Federal health plans would also test ways to pay for drugs based on their effectiveness. HHS's blueprint and company encompasses two phases. First, actions the president may direct HHS to make immediately, and then actions HHS is actively considering on which feedback is being solicited. A few weeks ago, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration announced it would evaluate requiring drug makers to include the list prices they set on medicines in their advertising. But drug makers argue that list prices do not reflect actual costs after discounts and rebates. Some of the administration's longer-term priorities include restricting the use of rebates, creating incentives for drug makers to lower list prices, and investigating tools to address foreign government practices that could be harming innovation and driving up U.S. prices. Health and Human Services Secretary said many of the actions the government was considering would not require approval by Congress and could take place through executive action within months, but it would take years to restructure the U.S. drug system. Trump also blasted the pharmaceutical and insurance industries for spending hundreds of millions of dollars on lobbying to protect the status quo. His remarks followed a renewed focus on the influence of the drugmaker lobby, which spends the most of any lobbying group in Washington. Trump said his administration would take aim at the middlemen in the drug industry who became very, very rich an apparent reference to health insurers and pharmacy benefit managers. He also said the pharmaceutical industry is making an absolute fortune at the expense of American taxpayers. Trump also placed blame on foreign governments, saying they extort unreasonably low prices from U.S. drug makers, forcing companies to charge more in this country. He vows that America will not be cheated any longer and especially will not be cheated by foreign countries. Proposed legislation that would tighten regulation of California's addiction recovery industry is a few steps closer to becoming law. Senate Bill 1228, introduced by California Senator Ricardo Lara, unanimously passed the Senate Health Care Committee last month. This bill proposes to establish the Substance Use Disorder Patient Protection Act. The bill would ban patient brokering and require licensed recovery programs to refer patients only to certified facilities that meet high standards of patient care. Patient brokering is the practice of recruiting people in need of treatment for substance use disorder in exchange for kickbacks. This predatory practice, which may involve prowling recovery meetings, homeless camps, and drug court, is at its worst associated with patient deaths and insurance fraud. 
Legislators say that desperation is fueling a surge in patient brokering or patient trafficking, where patients are referred to recovery services that do not meet their needs and put them at risk of relapse. Numerous news articles have shown the dreadful cost of brokering to patients and their families. Patients have been recruited with the offer of cash payments or drugs. Insurance fraud and overbilling for medical services can result from patient brokering. After clients' insurance coverage is exhausted, facility operators have allegedly been dumping them in the streets. The issue is largely attributed to facilities that do not require state licensure or oversight, including sober living homes. A recent California Department of Insurance investigation highlights the growing concern surrounding these sober living homes. In November 2016, the Department of Insurance issued a press release about an investigation that resulted in the arrest of the operators of some Southern California sober living homes called Community Recovery of Los Angeles. Florida, New York, and more states have banned patient brokering. SB 1228 goes before the Senate Appropriations Committee on May 22nd. And in medical news, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved Lucimira for the mitigation of withdrawal symptoms to facilitate abrupt discontinuation of opioids in adults. While Lucimira may lessen the severity of withdrawal symptoms, it may not completely prevent them and is only approved for treatment for up to 14 days. Lucimira is not a treatment for opioid use disorder, or OUD, but can be used as part of a broader long-term treatment plan for managing OUD. Opioid withdrawal includes symptoms such as anxiety, agitation, sleep problems, muscle aches, runny nose, sweating, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and drug craving that occur after stopping or reducing the use of opioids in anyone with physical dependence on the drugs. In patients using opioid analgesics appropriately as prescribed, Opioid withdrawal is typically managed by slower taper of the medication, which is intended to avoid or lessen the effects of withdrawal while allowing the body to adapt to not having the opioid. In patients with OUD, withdrawal is typically managed by substitution of another opioid medication, followed by gradual reduction or transition to maintenance therapy with FDA-approved medication-assisted treatment, drugs such as methadone, buprenorphine, or naltrexone, or by various medications aimed at specific symptoms such as over-the-counter remedies for upset stomach or aches and pains. Today's approval represents the first FDA-approved non-opioid treatment for the management of opioid withdrawal symptoms and provides a new option that allows providers to work with patients to select the treatment best suited to an individual's needs. The FDA granted this application priority review and fast-track designations, and an independent FDA advisory committee supported the approval of Lucimira at a meeting held in March. 
same day, orthopedic surgery allows patients to recover in the comfort of their own homes rather than in a hospital bed and provides multiple benefits to patients for improved recovery. And the drive to perform total joint replacement procedures on an outpatient basis continues to increase. But Russell Presley Swan, MD, of the Indianapolis-based Methodist Sports Medicine uh, organization shared his thoughts on post-operative pain management after outpatient orthopedic procedures with MD Magazine. A potential challenge clinicians and claim administrators must take into account when considering outpatient total joint procedures with their patients is effective management of post-operative pain. More than 73 million surgical procedures are performed in the U.S. each year, and up to 75% of the patients may experience pain after surgery. Inadequate pain management remains common and can result in a number of negative clinical outcomes, including deep vein thrombosis, pulmonary embolism, coronary ischemia, myocardial infarction, pneumonia, poor wound healing, insomnia, and demoralization. Until recently, postoperative pain was primarily treated with opioids. But opioid-based pain medications may produce significant adverse effects with both clinical and financial consequences. Even a one-day opioid prescription may pose a 6% risk of long-term opioid use, and as many as 1 in 5 patients become a routine opioid user after 10 days of narcotic analgesia. New techniques and approaches like continuous peripheral nerve blocks are playing a significant role in making postoperative pain more manageable and providing patients with superior acute postoperative pain relief while decreasing the amount of opioid-related adverse effects. Continuous peripheral nerve blocks have been successfully introduced in the ambulatory setting to provide an ongoing analgesia at home as well as in the hospital setting. Continuous peripheral nerve blocks can also help patients ambulate faster and improve their range of motion more quickly. Through careful planning and leveraging effective pain management techniques, same-day joint procedures are a realistic option for many patients. However, as with everything in healthcare, open communication with both patients and their caregivers is critical. This is not only the case for decisions around the procedure itself, but the recovery process as well. And in other industry news, National Wholesale Insurance Brokerage and Managing General Agent Worldwide Facilities has created a new workers' compensation division. Worldwide Facilities is a national insurance wholesale broker and managing general agent established in 1970. Its team of insurance specialists has access to virtually every specialty domestic and international insurance market. The company has branch offices in major metropolitan areas, including Los Angeles, San Francisco, San Diego, and Irvine. But Davis Moore, the CEO of Worldwide Facilities, noted that while his firm has a diverse range of products, it did not have brokers specializing in workers' compensation until now. 
The new team has seven workers' compensation specialists led by Senior Vice President Todd Pollack in the firm's office near Boston, an office it opened in February when Pollack joined the firm. Pollock is a 23-year veteran in the insurance industry with a specialization in the workers' compensation field. He started his career at EBI Companies. In 2001, Pollock joined the PMC Insurance Group as a workers' comp broker. Prior to joining Worldwide Facilities, Pollock was with Keating, where he served as president and managing partner of workers' comp. The new workers' compensation division offers more than a dozen markets available for nationwide risk placement. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device. <clears throat> by searching for the Work Comp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on the Amazon website. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd Scarin Minukian Langevin. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news. <music>